Sales Tuners, Episode 21, Phil Keen, Manager of Demand Generation at Octave. And you communicate with people, do not overcomplicate it. Communicate with people the same way you want to be communicated with yourself. If you are a C-level executive, do not tell your SDRs to make 100 calls a day because your phone right now in your office, is it unplugged or not? This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Paulo Coelho, who said, there is only one way to learn. It's through action. Joining me today is Phil Keen, Manager of Demand Generation for our sponsor of the show, Octave. Phil started his sales career as an associate at Best Buy before moving into the tech world as a sales development rep. Today, when he's not filling the pipeline for his team, Phil co-organizes the Indianapolis chapter of the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals and also co-hosts another amazing podcast called Real Sales Talk. You should definitely check out both of those. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salesooners.com slash 21. But now let's get to the conversation where Phil breaks down what Octave is and why they're a sponsor of this show. Yeah, so thanks for thanks for letting us be a sponsor. Uh, we, we love uh, sales tuners and we love uh, podcasts and sales sales communities out there. So we're, we're happy to sponsor. Um, so our sales process is really uh, a typical SaaS model in terms of we have specialization. There's SDRs and there's account executives and there's account managers. Um, so SDRs are really sourcing and, and reaching out um, to, to new prospects. Looking to build pipeline, there's AEs or account executives that are selling new business, and then they sell deals past the first year uh, of renewal, so the first renewal, uh, and then there's account managers that are selling to the base. Uh, so that's kind of our model and our structure, and we sell <clears throat> to two different segments. So we sell to enterprise, so for us it's $250 million of revenue or higher, uh, and that goes up to companies as large as the General Electrics and the Siemens of the world. Um, and then there are there's a segment uh, we call mass market today. Really, it's it's going to be mid market is what we're going to call it in the future, uh, which is 10 million to 250 million dollars in revenue. So that's our that's our core. Got it. And uh, you know, my listeners have heard uh, the ad that I play a couple times for the show. But g- give me the 30 seconds of the layman's term. What what is Octave? What are people buying? Yeah. So in the simplest term, it's documents. So we're we're unified document workflow. It's thinking about the ways that you would build any document. Um, today from a NDA or uh, an SOW or a contract or a proposal or a presentation or anything you're using to sell. Um, what we like to do is we grab out of your back office system, so your CRM or your CPQ or an ERP system, wherever you store data. Uh, we use that to generate documents 
uh, and we give you a nice way to, to, to take that to wherever you want to go, whether that's a file storage system or a signature or whatever that is. So it's really just workflow to, to and from where you're, where you're taking your documents. Got it, Phil. That's a, that's a great overview. So we're going to dive deep into that. But before we do, let, let's go way back. Tell me, how did you get into sales? Uh, so, so it's in my blood originally. So my grandfather owned a shoe store, um, and he was always a salesman, a retail salesman. And, and uh, my dad always joked it was just kind of the way I, I, I didn't have a choice. I was going to be a salesman. Uh, my dad sold lumber uh, and insurance while I was growing up. He also sold shoes at Flocker. He's a district manager for a while. Um, so that was that was a lot of it. As I just kind of naturally got into it because that's where I come from. Uh, so for me personally, I got into sales and started at Best Buy, uh, and I was there for about seven years, uh, a little over seven years. Uh, and I started off as an occasional seasonal associate and worked my way into to the sales manager and ended up running a store and uh, had about 50 employees and, and about $40 million revenue underneath me. That's awesome. I definitely, you know, different than some of the folks that have been on the show. So, uh, you know, as you know, Phil, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes and techniques that have led to your success. So let, let's kind of jump in there to your time at Best Buy. Uh, you know, what, what was some of the things that were going on then? Like, what was your day to day like uh, at that point? Yes, I was pretty young. Uh, so I started off in high school and, and went to college. I went to Ball State University uh, in Muncie, Indiana. So if anybody ever gets to visit there, um, there's not much to see, but you'll you'll enjoy it. Chirp, chirp, uh, right? Yeah, chirp, chirp. <laughs> uh, so I went to Ball State, Indiana, or Ball State in Muncie, Indiana. Did that and then transferred to Best Buy uh, to work there as a part timer. And day to day was it was selling to consumers coming in and, and teaching them about electronics and technology and and all of these things that um that wi-fi when wi-fi started to become a big thing and 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 gps's and and car audio and, and cell phones and tvs and and all like i just geeked out on a lot of that stuff uh so i think that's where early on i started to understand that i could give knowledge to people um and truly be consultive and, and understand their needs because of the knowledge that I had. Um, and it was fun. It was fun to solve problems. It was fun to geek out with the guys that came in. I'm sure if you would have came into Best Buy, we would have talked for hours <laughs> about whatever we were trying to put together. Uh, and I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. So I guess, you know, what were some of the tactical things that you were able to take from that that's kind of led to, you know, your your transition into tech? Yeah. Uh, so I think we're, we're there's a couple of different things. And I think the big thing is I, the CEO mentality and I, and I can go into um, a little more details. I had a manager that, that kind of sat me down one day when I was a, a lowly part-timer and uh, basically said, listen, your, your perception of who you are is, is, is a big deal. Uh, I got hired with two other hires that were just not cutting it and they weren't doing their job. And people always perceived me as part of that group. And, it was interesting. So he said, I was like, you have more talent than that. You're, you're very talented. You're, you, you, ha you can do more than what you're doing right now. Why are you doing the things you're doing? And I, I never, I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. And I think it's the first time that I started to realize that, that people watch what you're doing. And he sat me down. He's like, listen, like what if we took the name off the wall and it was Phil's electronic superstore? Uh, he's like, would you let the, the little things go? Would you not clean up appropriately at night? Would you dress appropriately to work? Would you would you dress up nicer than when you went to work? Would you hold people accountable next to you? Um, would you show up and work harder? Would you understand the business better? 
And I think that's where I started to understand and go deeper. Um, and, and, it, and it changed my mindset of how I looked at business, not just sales. Um, and then from that, I, I think the, the second thing is that I learned that um, people just want to be taken care of um, and they want something that's knowledgeable. So I think that that the the servant attitude or the the consultative uh, advisory type of, uh, of attitude towards sales, I think that's what I learned from Best Buy is is they definitely wanted to give you the knowledge you to, that you need it to to be successful in a role uh, when you're selling to their customers. I got it. What were what were some of those things that you you changed the, the behaviors that you changed at that point when your when your uh, boss kind of set you down and gave you that CEO perspective? What what would you change? So I think the biggest thing is it was walking into work with with a purpose and, and you thought differently. Uh, it's it's the day you walk in and you understand that your input is going to give you a better output and. and it was, I was never late to work. I was holding my, my peers accountable. And I think that was, that was probably the biggest thing is that I understood that there was a team atmosphere and it, and it, and it took a team to get a job done and do it well. And, and I never wanted to be the person to let other people around me down and, 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 and have everything fall down. Um, so that was, that was one of the things I think I learned really quickly was, was that, what I did mattered and it wasn't just me. It mattered to everybody around me. Got it. So Phil, when was the transition? When did you, when did you get into tech and, and how that, uh, how that looked? So I got into tech. I, I joined a small company in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, called Chacha. Jim, I, I know you're familiar with Chacha. But Very for, familiar. Yeah. So for everybody else at home, uh, if you used to send a text message to two, four, two, two, four, two, you would send a question and you would get an answer back from a real human. Uh, so this is pre Google days and it was a, it was a brainchild of, of, a, of a innovator here in Indianapolis, uh, named Scott Jones. So we did that. It was, it was a human search engine is what it was called. Um, so I joined them and I actually joined a subdivision of ChaCha called social reactor and social reactor. What we did is we sold social advertising, um, for very large influencers. So if you get on Twitter, uh, you might know an account like Uberfax or, which is 11 million followers right now, or, or over 11 million followers now, uh, or you'd get large celebrities. So I ran like David Hasselhoff's handle, or Hugh Hefner, or um, Lacey Sharpay, who's one of the uh, girls from Mean Girls. Um, so I, like we work with them, or, or Damon John from Shark Tank. So we worked with people like that, and we sold to advertisers. And some of the larger deals I would, uh, that I actually worked on were like AOL and Red Bull and Ask.com and um, some some bigger advertisers, publishers that are out there. So people that put content out to the world. Um, so that's what we did, and and we 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 took traffic of of things we could produce off these social websites and like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and and uh, and YouTube, and we take that traffic and we help monetize it for those influencers. Um, it, it was, it was an arbitrage game essentially. Uh, but it was fun and, and, and we had a, we had a, we had a really good time building out a pretty, pretty awesome platform. And, and we did it honestly, uh, which is the, the niche that we carved in the market is that we were bringing you high quality and we were going to treat you, the influencer, as well as the advertiser, um, really well, uh, when we did it and we were always going to be honest with you. Uh, so we were able to build a really huge network really quickly and, 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 and it spread pretty quickly. Now, I, I would go out on a limb and make an assumption that, you know, these influencers, you know, they wanted to make money off of their social properties. This is probably a pretty easy sell. What 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 did that uh, that sales process look like? 
Uh, for the influencer side, it's pretty simple. Like okay. you said, it, it was it was it was a lot of relationships. So theirs was a very tight network. There was we had six thousand plus influencers that we grew in about a year, uh, about twelve months, fifteen months. Um, but it was one of those things when you knew one person, you were able to use and leverage that as a referral to the three or four or five or fifteen people they were in contact with, and it was just a really small network. Um, I remember the first week I was in there selling that, just selling influencers and using our platform. Um, I landed actually the the second largest handle that we had the in, the entire time uh, that I worked there, so that was fun. Uh, but we kind of grew out our own affiliate networks that we could then sell and monetize their traffic. Um, so it was interesting to be the salesperson as well as the delivery. Uh, and then over time, we were we were really just selling the traffic for ChaCha.com. Uh, and we grew that out to be a top 40 website in the entire world. But what happens is when you get to a website that you start getting to, to 15 to 20 to 30 million page views a day, uh, is that your, your ad rates start to, um, start to, to show, they start to, to slow down a little bit and they start to diminish in terms of the, the quality and the volume that you're going to get. Um, so we need to find something to offload that on. So there's one day I basically walked into to Scott Jones's office and said, I'm pretty sure I can get in touch with uh, with with Red Bull, and I reached out to a peer of mine that that went to college with me through a relationship and said, "Hey, I got this thing. You guys have amazing content. Can I show you what we do?" Uh, and she's like, "That's not me, but I, I I sit three desks down from the guy that I want to uh, that that would actually want to talk to you about this." And I got an introduction, and within like three weeks, we were selling it. We sold Red Bull. They were our first client, um, and then from there, it just took off, and we were able to. We were able to get to a million dollars in revenue within a monthly, um, within sixty to ninety days. That is seriously incredible. So just be able to match up the two, the two different audiences there that fast. Just uh, Phil, one of the things that you know when you and I first met, and, and I, I've been trying to think about when the first time we met was. I, was it at an AISP event? Is that the first time? Probably. Okay. That sounds right. Okay. So one of the things that I've noticed about you, very you know, just right out of the ba- uh, right out of the gate. You are an expert at getting in the door with people, right? So you just talked about how you uh, leveraged a personal relationship, but that then personalized into something else at Red Bull. But now you're doing that at scale. And so, you know, your role of, of managing uh, demand generation and sales development at Octave, you've got to reach out to hundreds of people, you know, a week. Can we, yeah. I, I want to dive into that. Like, what does a typical week look like for you now? Uh, so a lot of it is understanding so the way that I look at the world and the demand generation funnel is is a lot of um, essentially thinking of like a quarterback of everything that you're that you're looking at or you're really looking at the entire system and it all has to flow together. Um, so we have a set of a named accounts that we work uh, that we're going to be working pretty heavily. So uh, for us in our world, it's going to be about 600 accounts that are core tier one accounts, and then that will then trickle into about five to ten thousand accounts. Um, so we have a core set of accounts that we're always going to work in at one time. We assign uh, per AE and per per BDR, we assign them 50 to 25 accounts, depending on where they're at and their their ramp, as well as um, just really what their capacity is. Uh, and then from there, they have tier two accounts that they also have kind of as a backup. So that's really our core, and we just need to work on what's going on inside those accounts, and how do we how do we speak to those accounts? How do we get in touch with those accounts? That's highly personalized. Highly, um, it, it's something we work together as an entire team. It's it's me and marketing on the marketing side, as well as the SDR team that works for me, as well as the AE team that's going to be selling the deal. 
Uh, it's really all of those teams working together in tandem uh, to get into those accounts and access them. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about email? Are you cold calling? What are you doing? How are you getting in, in, into these accounts? Yeah, all of it. Uh, so it's email, it's cold calling, it's social, it's direct mail. It's um, from a marketing side, it's digital advertising. It is um, things like trade shows it's, it's figuring out events that we go that not necessarily trade shows but local events that go there uh it's it's looking at everything we possibly can do and it's listening to things like uh who's visiting our website who's searching for certain terms and listening to people that would be like an interested market rather than addressable market so we might find people that are searching for proposal software and we do proposal software that's our core it's what we've done really well um, so if they're searching for proposal software, we can take that, listen for it and say, all right, we know that Jim's electronic superstore is wanting proposal software. And what I can do is I can then take Jim's electronic superstore and I can give that to a BDR and say, Hey, we're going to keep hitting them with different ads in marketing. We're going to keep supporting them and doing the right types of content that marks matches with, with him and his persona. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give that to you as well so you can share that message. I'm going to also give you, here's the three or four to five things that you can go talk to them about um, based off what we know about them. And then what happens is the BDR will then take that and then kind of reverse it and say, let's actually look at the account and let's make a call in. And we, we do things called mapping calls and are we a fit calls is our, is our secondary step. And each thing should have a recipe. And this is, this is something Jim, you and I talked about a little bit is there's every, every time something happens, there's, there's a set of actions that should happen every single time that gets you to conversion. So my plan is to bake out recipes for every single action that could happen. So if somebody comes to our website we should know from the time they hit our website to the time they convert every single step that should happen. And what happens is when you hand it off to the BDR, the BDR is going to do this mapping call where a mapping call is they call into the gatekeeper on purpose <clears throat> and they call and say, Hey, I know this is Jim's electronic superstore. What I'm doing is I'm looking to see the person that might be responsible for proposal software. Cause that's what you just searched for. Yeah. Well, you're actually going to want to talk to it. Interesting. Why would I talk to it? Well, here's why. And they'll tell you, those gatekeepers know this information. And then you map out the entire account. Uh, and then from there, you actually go the, do the opposite thing, which is do are you a fit call. So you call the end user. So we're, for us, we'll call the sales guy on the phone and say, hey, here's some three or four things that we do. Or, or find out what are some problems you have while you're building proposals today. And when you do that, you start to figure out there's five or six different answers that, that, that you're going to get from that salesperson that you can validate either what you know already or you're going to have additional information to go talk to somebody about and once you know all of that collectively, you have a you have a recommendation from at least a gatekeeper, if not a peer. You have knowledge from the end user of problems that you have that exist. You have all of the things you know about what's going on with their account that they're actually searching and actively doing. Um, there should be some kind of brand awareness because you hit them with targeted ads. So when you give them a phone call or an email, is it's highly personalized because you know more about them. Uh, and I know that was kind of a tangent, but that, that's kind of the entire process as, I, as I'm walking through just getting to the point where you know who to call and how do you start targeting them? Well, you said it, not me, right? That was kind of a tangent. And and, and the reason I'm saying that is because I couldn't keep up with the notes fast enough. So I want to break some of that down. Uh, you said to me, uh, Phil, the phrase interested market versus addressable market. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Tell me about that difference. What does that mean? Yeah, so I think there's there's a core, if you have your ICP 
which is ideal customer profile for anybody that's taking notes at home. So if you have an ICP, typically it's an addressable market of, say, 50,000 accounts. So if I'm looking for everybody that sells a certain industry uh, that has a certain type of go-to-market strategy, that uses certain types of technology, all of that, you end up having a really large market to go after. And just like if I were to give you, Jim, today, here's 500 accounts to go go work on. You don't know where to focus. Right. So there, it's just hard to focus on such a large group of people. And you could be personalized a little bit to a certain extent just because you know that they're the right type of fit. What, what the interest in market would be is people that are actually actively pursuing what you do. So there's technology that's out there today, and it, it's not always the cheapest technology, but there's technology allows you that lets you go look at who's searching for things that you're 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 working on, or here's here's even even if you have if you have any marketing automation software, they can at least tell you who's visiting your website and what page they're at, things like that. Google Analytics can tell you who hits your website, what page they visit, how many pages they go to. There's tools that are in your toolbox today that marketing uses. That if a salesperson knew they had access to it and used it, it'd be massively important, massively powerful for them. So what we do is we, I try to feed that data back to somebody that can go take action against it. So a total, total interest in market is people that are actively pursuing what you do and actually interested in you as a company already. So if you could do that and you match it with your ideal customer profile, so that people that fit your total, total addressable market, but they're also looking at the things you're looking at, so now you know that this person's a fit and they're looking for what I do. Got it. If I gave that to a, to a salesperson, they're going to get better results. Oh, absolutely. I mean, seriously, like you said, so, you know, in, in my, my day job, I target uh, retailers. But even when I put that retail uh, slant on it, there's still thousands and thousands and thousands. So I'm seeing what you're doing here and getting that closer down. Give me an idea, Phil. What is some of that technology you're talking about where you could see uh, people who are interested in what you're uh, what you have or searching for it, I guess? Yeah, so we use we use a couple different technologies. Um, so we have Marketo. Uh, we don't have it fully implemented yet, but but that's part of what we're looking at with them is they have the ability to look at who hits our website, who visits uh, who visits our website, and we have a known IP address from from a lead capture form. We have that. Um, we use another company called the Big Willow. So they they do some pretty interesting things in terms of listening to the internet and looking at who's searching for certain terms, um, and we can we can watch that. Uh, they also have the ability to spit back out ads to certain IP addresses if we want to do that as well. Um, so they, they do a lot from the marketing standpoint. Uh, and the hard part is really taking that data and pulling the right reports to get it into the hands of a salesperson. So what I do on a weekly basis is I look for people that are that are already knocking on our door, or already trying to address what, what, what the issues we solve is. And what we do is we take that data and we put it in the hands of a BDR as soon as possible. So we have a weekly cadence to where on Monday, the BDR knows that they're going to have a list of total interested or actual interested companies that, that are looking at what we're looking at right now. And it might be five, it might be 20, it might be 50. But we try to pick the best that have the most um, most activity as well as the highest propensity to do business with us. Now, you, you talked about the map and fit call, the mapping and fitting calls, and that makes complete sense, uh, or at least it did to me. Uh, but... You made it sound like it was super easy and, uh, you know, your connect rate has to be like 100%. What is your actual connect rate on these type of calls? Uh, so the connect rate on that to a gatekeeper is fairly high. 
Uh, and then connect right after that. If you can get an internal referral, it was always going to win every single time. Jim, if I, if I reach your boss and I call and say, hey, Jeff said to do this. Jeff, I, Jeff told me to reach out to you today. You're going to say, huh, okay, I'll give you five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's natural reaction for you to do that. And if you have a, if it's, if it's a legitimate referral. So if I have the ability to get to a gatekeeper who says, you need to call this person, that person says to call you, you're going to answer the phone. It, hmm. it, so there's a different way to think about it. And it's easy message. It, it's even think about the email that goes out to that person, which is, hey, Jim, reach out to you on behalf of XYZ person. Here's what I was going to call and discuss to you about. Do you have 15 minutes to, to recap? The, the message is different. Internal referral is always going to be anything you can do from a personalization standpoint. Uh, and it's faster. Sure. Connect, so, connect rate that's like 25% if you are if you do it well. Um, and then you just got to find the right person. That's the problem. Yep. Yep. No, in 25% is still very good. I, I want to be clear of that. So um, I, I want to uh, keep us moving here. So you also talked about this concept of a recipe, knowing the three, four, five things that um, that, that should happen. You, you got to break that, that down for me. I'm, I'm extremely intrigued by that. Yeah. So I have the idea of building out a lot of people build playbooks and playbooks are good. Uh, and I'm a firm believer in playbooks. Um, in fact, one of your, one of your, my favorite guests you've ever had and one of my favorite people in the sales world, Trish Bertuzzi, the sales development playbook, you should go buy it and read it if you have not already. Um, big fan of playbooks. I think you need to map that thing out because that's the way some people learn. What I do think though is everything needs to have a cookbook. So I feel every time there's an action that happens, there is a set of court, there's a course of action that should happen between the, the initial reaction or the initial initial thing that happens all the way up to the, the conversion point. For instance, if someone were to fill out a lead form, this is the most basic form when you, or basic, basic recipe you could have. Jim, if you fill out a demo request form or a contact us form saying, I want to be sold to, there should be a phone call that happens within five minutes. There should be, if there's no answer, there's two different actions. Either you send them an email immediately that says, hey, I'd love to get some more time, or you drop them into a cadence that allows you to then call them back. So there, there's certain things that happen. If they were to answer, the recipe is there's a yes or no on that phone, and then you schedule a meeting, and that's your conversion. It's, hey, I had a conversation, I qualify you, and I set a meeting up. So there, every single time that should happen. So I know that if, if I can get someone that fills out a form and I call back in five minutes, I'm going to convert at like a 40% rate compared to anything else. So you need to understand every step of the way that can happen. So there could be recipes that start with things like Jim visited my website. He doesn't know that I know that he visited my website yet, but I can call him and I can figure out if I call him and I figure out who the person is I need to speak to. And I got to look at these seven different personas that I should probably talk to. And I could make a handwritten note for these two personas and I could write three emails to these two. You, you start thinking about the world a little bit differently. If, if, if I have a set of course of actions that I know convert every single time or, or most of the times and three times out of 10, they, they actually do work. All you gotta do is press play on this, but on these recipes a few times a month and you're going to convert higher. It's awesome that you just said that, right? Just, you just need to press play on this recipe. What you've got me thinking is, you know, eventually AI is going to take over and do everything you just said. Once you've, you know, once you've laid it out and completely planned it out, are you fearful of that or 
No, I, I, I don't think AI is going to take over. I think those are the types of things that AI let, lets you, they aid you with. I think there's always going to be human, human element to, to sales. There has to be. And if it's something, it maybe it's somebody that that thinks holistically between the actions that happen on the website to conversion to sale. But there's probably always going to be somebody that's sitting in the background, making sure each of these steps, actions, and and what's being said is appropriate, and and continually helping the system learn. There's also like there's something about human interaction. Like I thrive off human interaction. I love to be talked to. I love to talk to people. I don't know if I would ever be sold by a robot. And maybe that's not true. I buy stuff off of Amazon all the time, but I, I think it depends. It depends on the size of the deal. It depends on, there's a lot of other factors that, 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 that would weigh into it for me. Yeah. You mentioned Trish Bertuzzi. One of the things that she said along this topic was, yeah, of course on the, on the commodity side, yeah, we'll buy from robots all day long. But when we start looking at high ticket or considered purchases, you really do got to have a, a, a good salesperson guide, right. guide you through that. So, uh, I, I cannot let you go without uh, talking about cadences. This is something you've helped me with. You are a master uh, of this. Talk to me about the different types of, of cadences you run from an email perspective and, and how how you are able to personalize those, you know, at scale. Cadence is myself. I, I, I have I have a cadence. I know what cadence you're talking about, and that and it's my favorite one ever. And it is the crazy ex girlfriend. So we call it that because it's easy to understand it and it's easy to remember. And people joke about it, laugh about it. So what the crazy ex girlfriend is is it's the way that you communicate with the people that are in your life. If you think about your mom or your best friend and how they would reach out to you, what typically happens in a cadence is, is the opposite of that. So I'm going to call you, Jim, and I'm going to call you three times in the first two days, or I'm going to send you 14 emails in the first week and a half, and guess what happens after that? It starts to slow down or it disappears. And I know as a buyer now, just like you do, it's going to stop, right? Mm-hmm. The difference is you flip that upside down. So, Jim, you're a busy person. If I want to get in touch with you, I'm going to send you an email. And I'm going to give you a week to respond. I'm going to give you three days to respond. I don't, I'm going to give you time to, to, to digest what I sent you. And when you do that, you're not going to immediately make somebody pissed off because the fact that all you keep doing is hitting them up too many times in a row. You're going to give them time to, to, to figure out what you're doing. And just like your mother or your girlfriend or, or your significant other or your boyfriend or whatever your situation is, if you send them, if they send you a text message, they might give you some time to respond. And then maybe like a day later, 15, if, if it's, if it's if actually emergent, emergency, maybe it's a little faster, but if they just want to get in touch with you to talk about and shoot the shit about something, they're going to give you like two days to respond back to their, their text message or their email they sent you. And then over time, the frequency starts to get quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. Eventually they're going to start worrying about you. And as they start worrying about you, they're going to go faster and it creates a sense of urgency inside of you. So really, if in a half-life cadence or in the, in the craziest girlfriend cadence, you want to do just that. You want to start with a touch and over time get faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And towards the end of the cadence, what happens is you create the sense of urgency that makes me feel like I should respond back to you rather than the opposite, which makes me want to hate you and makes me want to make you not call me ever again. 
Well, especially as I told you uh, earlier this week, I, I had a prospect tell me, hey, Jim, don't ever contact me again. So that made me feel really good. I might need to uh, do the crazy ex-girlfriend cadence on him. Um, Phil, we're going to take a quick break to uh, thank you, our sponsors. Uh, and when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away, e- away either. We'll be right back. Sales Tuners, Octif has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octif has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octiv.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We are back and it's time for the money round. Phil, are you ready for the money round? I don't, I don't know if I have a choice, but yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, Phil, what's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Learning as much as I possibly can uh, every day. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? Learning how to prospect. Interesting. Uh, which phrase describes you best and why I love to win? Or I hate to lose. Hate to lose. Why is that? I I, I don't want to ever let anybody else down. And then I think if you look at my family, I uh, I don't want to lose for my family. I want to win because it's going to mean good things. But I don't ever want to let anybody else down. I love it. What's a book, Phil, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Uh, what I'm in right now is Steal the Show by Michael Port. I know that's not the answer. The one I would actually give everybody else is the one I started with, which is how to win friends and influence people. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Phil's recommendation of how to win friends and influence people, head on over to salesooners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salesooners.com slash book. Phil, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Uh, best best sales advice I could ever give everybody else is when you reach out to people and you communicate with people, do not overcomplicate it. Communicate with people the same way you want to be communicated with yourself. If you are a C-level executive, do not tell your SDRs to make 100 calls a day because your phone right now in your office, is it unplugged or not? Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. Uh, how could someone uh, find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? Find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it is Phil, P-H-I-L-L, two L's, easy to remember, Keen, K-E-E-N-E. Uh, or you can find me on, on Twitter, which is at Phil Keen. Either one of those, you can, jo- you can connect with me, send me a message. It goes like a text message for me, and I, I pretty much almost always respond. Phil, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jim. All right, take care. Phil has become one of those people for me that when I have a tactical question, he's my go-to guy. The stuff he's willing to try and ultimately find success with is absolutely incredible. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, adopt a CEO mentality. The perception of who you are matters a lot. Instead of just doing what you're supposed to do, think bigger. If it were your company, what would you do differently? How would you dress? How would you talk to customers? How would you hold others accountable? 
these ideas will get you thinking more broadly about the business as opposed to just your role in sales. Number two, leverage your network. The easiest way to get into a new prospect is through a referral, right? Once you figure out who's connected to the people you want to talk to, figure out what information you can arm them with to make an introduction on your behalf. Number three, act like a crazy ex-girlfriend. Think about this for a second. How do you communicate with the most important people in your life? I'm talking about family and close friends. When you call or text them, if they don't respond right away, you'll likely give them some time knowing they're probably just busy. But after a few weeks, you don't just give up. Your frequency of calls and texts increases. When you apply that to prospecting, most people know that a salesperson will go away if you just ignore them for a few weeks. Flipping the script to give them space and then ramping up the frequency might just get you in the door. That's it. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests, as well as annual subscriptions to read it for me. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.